Boy, oh boy. Welcome back to the Limehouse podcast. It's been a little while. I feel like I'm uh, whew, adequately, uh, I don't know, prepared to speak to you this morning. It's the morning, this one. See, I've, I've, I've got used to this whole um, rigmarole of evening podcasting, putting it out, putting it together and putting it out when everybody's asleep in the household. But what, what, what happens there is it gets past 8 o'clock and things begin to fall apart. Um, my power of speech, my state of mind, um, my ability to walk up the stairs to get to bed. So, you know, that, these are the things that you need to do in life in order to function. So I just thought, well, maybe what I'll do this, this week is just see how it goes. And if, if I get a podcast out, I get one out. So I think that's probably what we'll do from now on in. Oh my goodness. So yeah, uh, how have you been? I've been good. Uh, it's uh, it's one of those things really. Uh, this, this episode is, um, is, is, is really quite something. It's Steve Harley. Steve Harley, you will know him. Obviously, because I've been banging on about this episode for a long time. Uh, but he obviously was in, involved, wrote one of the, the biggest hits of the 70s. Who've come up and see me, make me smile. But aside from that, what a life, what a massively interesting life. He, we actually skirt around David Bowie a lot. We talk about his days hanging out with Bowie a bit, um, uh, his, his, uh, his opinion on rock and roll, always valid. What I love about these conversations with people that aren't like, you know, they're not like the Steven Tylers of the world or what have you, or um, <laughs> I, I don't know why, but my, John Bon Jovi's come into my head. But anyway, that aside, the, the, you know, Steve Harley isn't sort of a, a relevant mega rock star right now, but he is, um, he has certainly got some stories, let me tell you. Oh my God. And he, he's got some interesting insight should we say, uh, in the in the middle end towards part of the interview that is um, around, uh, I don't know, it's sort of base, kind of like political views, which I wouldn't necessarily align myself with in terms of um, people going back to work after COVID and furlough and stuff like that, um, which, I mean, look, we're all entitled to our own opinion, but I just want to underline the fact that I didn't want to get into that at the time. I did not want to get into it at the time with Steve because you've got to get an in, make an interview flow and no one wants to talk, you know, listen to two people banging on about whether or not people should be going back to work in the office and whether they feel safe or not going back to work in the in the workplace. In the workplace in the office in the office. So I'm I'm definitely one of those people that say if you if you just to pick up on that point a little bit if you if you are at home thinking I don't ever want to go back to work. I I don't ever want to go back into an office because I'm terrified of getting this thing, then fine. Do it. Stay at home. Feel, don't feel guilty about that. Do you know what I mean? Why, why on earth would you feel... On the other hand, like if there are people that... I think what Steve touches on in this interview is whether or not people are being lazy. I don't think that's um, a thing. I don't... I, don't I, I can't believe that for a second that people are 
going, oh, I'm, I'm just going to ride this one out for a year. I'm not going to work for a year and sponge off the government. I just don't see that. And if there are, maybe there are one or two, but it's probably like hardly any. I think we all just want to get back to some kind of normality, don't we? As soon as we can. But hey, you know what I said about getting up early so I can get shit done? It's six o'clock right now. Pearl's just started crying. Laura's asleep upstairs. She's, you know, what, 25 weeks pregnant. I've got to go and, I've got to go and get Pearl to give Laura a bit more of a sleep, a lie-in. So on that note, I'm going to go and sort Pearl out. I hope you have been well. Sorry it's taken such a long time to get this show out. It, it is what it is. You know, blah, blah, blah. Got some cool conversations coming up, like I said, uh, I have been saying. But if you have seen or haven't seen The Letdown on Netflix, please do. It's hilarious. Alison Bell's coming on the show to talk about The Letdown. She's wonderful, man. Oh, my God. I think we had the best conversation. I was my best self. I just relaxed, which I'm quite good at, I think, relaxing and not talking politics. Um, yeah, it's good. Although, I'm, I'm going to make a confession here. Um, Piers Morgan had me in stitches the other day. I was watching Good Morning Britain, ITV, up early again. Couldn't sleep. What in the, what's that? Why is that? Why am I now going, hey, Piers Morgan? They were talking about, he was talking about being fat. And how he was talking about fat shame people into losing weight. Didn't agree with it, obviously. But it was funny. Like, there was an element of truth in that. There was an element, because in my life, I've definitely had that. I've, I've, I, I'm a bit like Mark Maron in that sense. Um, podcaster Mark Maron, actor Mark Maron, comedian Mark Maron. Uh, he's got a thing with weight. He's as skinny as a fucking rake, man. It's it's insane. But he always bangs on about his weight, right? And I'm the same. I'm not as skinny, but I do bang on about my weight. I really do. Like, it gets in my head. But I, I appreciate anybody that goes, hey, man, look. Not appreciate anybody. If someone up the street was coming, coming up to me and go, hey, you fat fuck, lose some weight. I mean, that would be insane because I'm not fat. But I do have a body dysmorphia thing going on with my stomach and my man breasts. You know, I feel like I'm less of me because I've got a slightly big tummy and slightly chunky tits. And I'm not in any way fat. You would not look at me and go, that's a fat fuck, you know. He's not a fat motherfucker. It's just weird. It's just very strange why that gets in my head. But Piers Morgan made a very interesting point, you know. Friends, do you, go, do you say to friends, dude, lose some fucking weight. You're putting a fucking pounds on. You know, do you put an arm around them and go, hey man, what's going on? What's going on? Why have you put on that weight? I think in some cases, you just put on weight because you just get, you just drop the ball a bit, right? I don't know. What's your relationship with weight? I mean, it's a very interesting one because I think we all have an inter a relationship with our bodies, don't we? But yeah, and that that's sort of about as close to the politics as I've been lately, watching Good Morning Britain by accident. Yeah, that's a weird one. But anyway, yeah, Alison Bell's coming up. That's going to be great. If you want to check out my short film, please do. It's on somedaysarediamonds.co.uk. That website, again, is somedaysarediamonds.co.uk. All terms are exclusive. Cashback. Screw your life up forever. And I think you'll enjoy it. It's a good film, man. The, the name is a good film. It's a solid short film. Take up 20 minutes of your life. 
you'll wish you'd had it back, but that's not the point. You'll be supporting an independent artist. Look after yourself. I'll see you soon. Rock on and enjoy the This is so funny because I've interviewed a couple of guys now, um, slightly, a tiny bit younger, a tiny bit older than you, but there's this, this reoccurring thing with South East London going on. I don't know what it is because you're, <laughs> you're from Deptford, right? Yeah, yeah, Deptford. Because yeah, I'm in Sydenham, so... Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, we knew Sydenham, Forest Hill. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, so yeah, were, you, were you born around this area then? I was born in New Cross Gate. Yeah. Good and God. in Chipley Street, which yeah. doesn't exist anymore. It was, um, I was born in 51 down there, and um, it was on the railway embankment down at, um, by Millwall's old football ground. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and um, Cold Blow Lane. And um, they, they had three of us, my mum and dad had two up, two down, outside the Three of us before the other two were born, it's five of us, and... Uh, yeah, I have a great affinity with it too. I mean, Mill Ward is our team, big time. Yeah. My dad, my dad was on their books. He was a great footballer, uh, semi-professional, but as professional as you got in those days. At the end of the war, he played for Mill Ward, Brighton, and Hove Albion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was on sitting on the wall <laughs> around uh, the Mill original. Cold blow lane in the football ground. I was sitting on that wall with my dad holding me when I was three. Yeah. That yeah. is that card. So you've got some history. Yeah. Who else yeah. you talking about? There's there's, there's um Chris Well, I was gonna say, yeah, yeah, Chris Difford. No, 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 not Chris Difford. Is it Chris Difford from Deptford? Yeah, he is, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'd, and, uh, I'd love to speak with Chris, my god. The fabulous Danny Bowers from Thunder. Yeah, and then I, um, my dad was his milkman. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. My dad was a milkman for thirty odd years with six hundred calls, six hundred in Jesus. Greenwich. Good God! Oh yeah, yeah. The forties, fifties, the sixties, and seventies in Greenwich. And when I met uh, Danny Bowers and Luke from Thunder, they both said to me, "Your dad was my milkman." Those little boys. They, my dad. They were little children. I hope that was their That is mental. Jules Holland. Yeah, yeah, and um, Sultans of Swing. Uh, come on, what are they blooming called? No, he, well, he's um, from, he lived in Deptford, uh, yeah. but he's Newcastle. Oh, okay. All right, I got, I got excited. Knopfler. Yeah, Knopfler. Yeah, he's a Geordie. Yeah, I, he I came just... to Deptford when they came when he came south to to find the Yellow Brick Road. Um, he, he was in digs in Deptford. Yeah, yeah. We talked about that. Yeah, that's so cool. God. So how many of those people, how many of those lads have you you've been on the road with or been on, I don't know, old grey whistle test or whatever and gone, oh, I'm from Deptford. And yeah. you know, because it's so so funny, is it wherever you're from in the world and you find out someone yeah. lives around you. Yeah, yeah. It's always like, oh well. The longer you live and the more you travel, that's the thing. The more you travel, um, you keep bumping into people and massive coincidences going on. Um, I, I'm not TV so much, but uh, you meet each other at festivals. It's the only time I don't lick. 
I don't mix. I am still an outsider. After 47 years, I'm an outsider. I, I, I move on the periphery of the yeah. music industry. I'm, I'm, still a, I'm still a former journalist. That was my calling. And, you know, I was extremely well trained by great people, great news editors. And I'm, I'm still that young lad that was a reporter. I watched last night. How about this? I was just telling my wife half an hour ago, I, I watched the documentary on Princess Anne on TV last night. Okay. Very good television. Really well-made film. Obviously, her own crowd were involved in the edit, but it's brilliant television, and she's a fabulous woman. I mean, special. Yeah, and so yeah. her two children, really special people. I was extremely impressed. And they showed a clip of her at the age of 18 during her first ever um, royal function where she represented the royal the, the firm uh, and opened something. And I, I looked at her and thought, I've got that picture. And it was only days, it was taken at another function that she opened within days of opening the Colchester Youth House in Colchester, in essence, where I was an 18-year-old junior reporter. And I was on the committee as the press man of the Colchester Youth House, which millions have been spent on opening. She came and opened it, and I met her that day, obviously. Yeah. And it, strange coincidences go on, but that's called living, growing older, traveling. And festivals is where I, the only time that I feel that I'm going to meet other other people. I'm, I'm very, uh, I move within a very, very limited range of experience with a, in my own band, my own musicians and crew. Yeah. We don't, we don't, I, I don't let them mix when we're on the road. It's all okay. I had this with Bernie Marsden um, and then his daughter came in, bless her heart, and um, saved the day. She was just like pressing buttons and all sorts. God. Oh, he's not like an old... He's lost his mate. He's just lost his mate. Oh, who? But who, who died? Peter Green. Oh, Peter Green died? Four or five days ago. Marsden was oh his best mate. Oh, my God. I did not know that. Oh, yeah, Holy big time. shit. It's all over the... Yeah. It's in every newspaper. Don't you read papers? No, I, d I don't. I don't... I'm yeah. Very well, well, Bernie Marsden kind of... Uh, helped Peter to come back from the semi-dead, the yeah. demi-world, and uh, yeah, they were very close. And Marsden tweet tweeted, it was reported in the Telegraph, in, in detail, Marsden's tweet was very touching, very sincere. Yeah, Peter, Peter Green was always on a very slippery slope Yeah, for yeah. many years. I saw him quite a few times. I saw him when I was a kid. I saw him once when I was 18, once when I was 22 at a, a, a blues festival. Yeah, yeah. And I, I blagged it backstage and he he just didn't seem all there. But Well, he's not. He's absolutely not. Wow. Bad he's acid. Bad acid, man. Bad, bad Brian acid. Wilson acid. Well, yeah. I, yeah, I've met Brian Wilson too and he's, apart from being slightly, mostly deaf. Yeah, he's a victim. Um, I did acid for nine ten months i wasn't down for 10 months in 1972 i was up for high for nine months because we dropped it every other day and uh 
I only had one bad trip and that was the last. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. You have to learn. I, I, I don't have self-destruct buttons, you know. I, I want to survive, but... Jesus. I was, Nine months high, man. That's yeah. pretty impressive. Yeah, well, I was on um, the dole. Yeah. I just, just finished my journalism. I've given up my gig as a reporter at the East London Advertiser. Richard Maidley got my seat. <laughs> yeah, he was three years younger than me. I left and they had to bring in someone. Maidley got taken on. <clears throat> and... Uh, so I'm responsible for <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. really mad. And then I was busking in uh, the London folk clubs, busking my new my own songs that became the Human Menagerie. And uh, yeah. you know, I, and we would my two friends and I, I were dropping acid. We had blue microdot. We had friends in university that were manufacturing the stuff. Holy <laughs> Jesus Christ! Like <laughs> we fresh, were fresh off. Dot. Yeah, yeah, fresh off the line. And you're talking South, South London, the, the the bad one that encouraged me to give it up. My friend and I woke up lying in the centre of the roundabout at Bricklayer's Arms, and I came to and stirred, and I looked to him and I said to myself, "What would my dad think?" if he came past now and found me like this. And I never dropped another acid tap, you know. <laughs> Matt, do you know what? That's so funny. Like some people would be like, what would, I don't know. They'd look at themselves and be like, what have I become? Blah, blah, blah. Not a lot of people maybe would say, what would my dad think? Because I guess in, in the early years, you're kind of rebellious, right? And you're kind of going, I don't give Very a shit much. what my dad would think. Oh, I always so, cared about what my dad thought. My dad, you know, um, we weren't... He didn't, my dad didn't, he died last year, but he, he didn't show a lot of emotion to any of his five children. He was very loving, though. Yeah. But uh, I'm the odd one of five. I mean, he practically saved my life without a word of exaggeration. And uh, he never took credit for it, but all his, he was the youngest of uh, 10 children. <laughs> he was always the little Whoa. boy. And he practically, yeah, yeah. Well, when I caught polio in 54, mm. and they said to him, Stephen's dying. And he was there at the isolation hospital at Hither Green, near Catford. Yeah. yeah, right, yeah, yeah. That, that's where I was first taken in August 1954. And he said, no, he's not. And he, um, he, my aunts and uncles, his brothers and sisters, have all told me many times what he was like and how he badgered the doctors into continuing treatment when they were prepared to give up. And, you know, you don't forget that. Fuck. That is, that, that is, that's extraordinary, isn't it? Like what, who told you that story? Like who, most, who told my, you about your dad? Mostly my dear auntie Gertie, who was um, mm. 10 years older than, 15 years older than my dad. She was about number four five out of the ten in the sequence and she was a delightful woman no children but a fabulous woman she was in the secret service in the second world war and she told such wonderful stories and uh, extremely loving and honest there was no exaggeration no bravado no bravura in her stories and um Oh, she knew all about her youngest brother and how 
you know, the, the fight that he put up uh, to pull, to get them to pull me through. Um, yeah, yeah. Can I... Can I ask what it's like then to know that you've effectively had your life sa- like saved in, in well, quite a unique way? Interestingly, they, they told him uh, and my auntie Gertie, who was there, she'd gone up to Hither Green by bus to be there. Um, yeah, they did say that we think Stephen's gone. <laughs> so they went through that, you know, but the idea at three and a half as I was, I was with my sister, who's the uh, two years older than me. I'm second out of five, and she's the firstborn, and she's the record keeper. Um, she's the um, chronologer of the family. She, she keeps diaries and fantastic f- photographic records. And I was with her just a few months ago. We don't see each other very often, and um, she had her own view, her own idea of what happened that day. That she was two years older and i said to her do you know i've got to tell you i don't i didn't have a childhood i don't remember anything before i was about nine Mm. and she said that's ridiculous everyone has a first memory at three or four no 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 i don't but i'd spent three years in hospital by then and so my whole life was turned upside down as a kid i was away a lot and my 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 life was a, a bedside cabinet full of books which I was always into words, books, poetry and stuff when I was 13. But between three and 16, or 15 and a half, I was in there for three and a half years in total. It's a long time to be away from your siblings. Well, it, it, forms, it, 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 it informs you and it creates who you are, your personality. Uh, and she said, you, I said, I truly, truly don't have any childhood memories. And I really don't. I absolutely, truly don't. And she's sending me all these photographs now and saying, you must remember this, you must remember. (laughs) Well, thanks for the picture, but obviously I was there. uh, (laughs) I was there. It's like the 60s, I was there, but I wasn't there. But I don't remember it, yeah. (laughs) Right. God, Jesus. So, I mean, is that, do you think that's something to do with trauma and your mind just blocking it out, like survival? Um, Well, for someone who thinks extremely deeply like I do, which is a real drag. Um, it's hard. <laughs> it's real hard. It's I hard. know, man. I know. I know. Are you, are you like it? Oh, fuck it. It never stops. It never stops. What's your birth sign as a point of interest? Uh, August 29th, so Virgo, Leo-y kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That surprises me then because they're usually pretty... Uh, well, yeah, I, I, I've, I've had it tough lately. I've lost, I lost my dad when I was... 22 and lately oh. it's come back and i've been writing about him a lot uh-huh. and it's just it's been brutal and I, what's, I, you your, 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 what's your background then uh, you're, you're um, a journalist you no qualified? no like, I, no no i'm a gardener full-time uh, gardener i've done music journalism here and there been in bands been podcasting for three and a half years uh used to be quite political now it's taken like a, a a turn to where I actually want it to go. I don't know why the hell I decided to do politics. I think it's well, just where, Brexit, did, did, Brexit. Did you go to university? No, no. I left school 16, uh, traumatised by boarding school. Thought, go on, I, thought, I was going to ask you that next. You sound like a boarding school boy. Now, yeah, where, where yeah. did you go? I went to Seaford College down in West Sussex. Sussex, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
beautiful i mean beautiful steve honestly like the most stunning landscape but the most horrible boarding school so i i hated it and um and i left there and i just thought screw you education i just got got on the got on the rock and roll train you know there's too many of you young men that um hated their school and at boarding school or public school and Mm. i i from new cross gate I spent six very happy years walking up Peeps Road and Jerningham Road to Haberdasher's Asks. Yeah? yeah. I mean, there's two, two Haberdashers that are very expensive public schools. But I was at the grammar school in New Cross. We were all scholarship boys, every one of us, yeah? yeah I was about, yeah. I was one of only three really working class boys in our class. They were all quite seriously middle class, but they'd pass the 11 plus flew through that to get to asks you had to be you had to get a good 11 plus really good and yeah. uh yeah yeah uh, but i loved it and um my english you fell in love with literature right it sounds to me yeah. like you fell in love with literature because it felt i don't know i obviously i don't know every aspect of your life but it feels like the little story you've given me so far is like uh, like you fell in love with books at a young age to in a form of escapism, perhaps? Yeah, well, no, no, <clears throat> not quite. What happened was um, there must be an, an innate uh, love of words, let's put it that way. Uh, but then yeah. when I was 15 and um, my last sojourn at Queen Mary's Hospital in Carshorton Beaches, was for 10 months I was in. I went in January and came out in December. Back in those days, I was 15, 1966, and Revolver, <laughs> Highway 61 revisited, Blonde on Blonde. So it wasn't a bad bad time to be 15. But um, I was doing my O-level studies, yeah? You know O-level, yeah. we call it now? Oh, yeah, yeah, GCSEs. GCSEs. Yeah. So I was doing my O-level studies um, in the hospital bed, and we had a teacher. She was in her 50s. She'd been seriously through the Second World War. She had one one arm was off, and it was made of what well, all we saw was leather, a leather cover over a false arm. That's all I remember. But she was a delightful woman who helped me do the curriculum, mm-hmm. which which haberdashers would send from New Cross to Carshalton Beaches at 10 miles into Surrey. They would send it down. A teacher would come down with it, with all the week's work. And I would do that in no time because I was doing it alone with her, whereas my mates were in a class of 24 boys. Jesus, right. So I'm doing the curriculum and getting it all ready, finished early and so my dear friend to this day anthony harding my english head of english he realized what was going on uh, and so he started to send me to the hospital extracurricular um he'd send steinbeck and hemingway and dh Lawrence to me which which were not on the o-level syllabus we'd done i'd done my i'd done my essay on uh othello uh, no, that was A-level. I did my essay on whatever Macbeth was O-level. Uh, I'd done my essays on uh, WB Yeats. I'd done all that, and I'd done my maths and done my sciences. So I'd done it all, and he said, Stephen needs stimulation. 
And he sent down privately his own collection, his own books. He sent me several Hemingway, just changed my life. He sent yeah. the, grapes, the Grapes of Wrath. Oh, um, mate. You know, I'm 15 reading The Grapes of Wrath, Steinbeck, and seeing this magnificent storytelling. And yeah, it changed my life. But of course, I'm a very, very private person. You know, I, don't, I told you, I don't mix in the industry. I don't, yeah. I don't blog. I don't share much in public. And it's mostly because that hospital bed for all those years, especially when I was 11 and 15, the two really long periods, both of them 10, 11 months, my world was in a little brown wooden cabinet beside the bed with a bunch of grapes and Lucasade on the top. <laughs> in, inside was a notebook, there was pens, and there, were my, there was my literature. That was yeah. my world. So my wife would tell you, my children would tell you that, that I am quite secretive, may I say. It's a strange word to use about yourself. It's not that I keep, I, I've got nothing to hide, but no, no, no. In this I give very age, little yeah. away. And it's yeah. because I lived like that. And it's like, don't touch my stuff. Don't t I'm still like it to this day. It's so psychologically, <laughs> I haven't really, I've never shook it off. Right, you know? yeah. Yeah, particular. I mean, I get that. I know where it's coming from. And like, if you put it into context the way you have it, it, it's really easy to understand. It's just not everyone has is afforded the opportunity of just being able to explain themselves calmly for 10 minutes as to why they are the way they are, you know? It's like... Well, it's my the, own view, right? I, I'm no psychologist, but it's my own view of why I am what I am. I watched... Um, the funeral, and um, this is, I know you're recording, it doesn't matter, but I watched the funeral today of a 36-year-old young man, uh, member of my extended family, who died of a heart attack, and the, the um, eulogies from his partner, female partner, and from his sister and his mates in Glasgow was very touching um they knew who he was they, they in their eyes and you don't need to it was very very moving mm. and I, and they talked about his humor and how he never stopped smiling we know that we knew the boy quite not terribly well i've got to say but well enough when he was younger well i'm listening to this and thinking through my mind i'm, I'm thinking silently, he wasn't saying it to my wife, I'm saying to myself, if I died yesterday, no one could say that about me. I'm serious. Fuck, that's, 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 that's exceptional. I kind of, well, I didn't like myself. I didn't like myself. I, I, I mean, I, I, you've obviously probably never seen me perform. No, I have. I have. I've seen you twice, once at Guildfest and I think once in Portsmouth or something. Yeah. Oh, go on. Well, it, it, intimate settings in the acoustic band shows, which I adore. People write about me all over the internet. You can read loads of them and they say, plus, he is funny. <laughs> <laughs> and I get it. I get it. It's because I tell a story on stage and I'm extremely relaxed. I'm really, really, really chilled on stage. You know, it's my it's my workplace. There's no nerves doesn't don't exist. It's, yeah, people don't spend that kind of money to have a bad time. You know? <laughs> 
And I sit there, and after five, six, seven songs, I don't talk a lot, but I do tell anecdotes. And they come to me like out of nowhere. I don't rehearse a single beat. And, <laughs> and it is funny because I'm in control. I've got a microphone and thousands of watts of volume, and they're, in, they're, in, they're wrapped. Yeah. You yeah. know, they're in awe because they're in this little room. Might be a three, five, six hundred seat theater. Oh, I do 10 nights, 10 nights in a row at the Pizza Express in Holborn, 120 bods. Yeah. But we, do, we do 10. We play to 1,000 people, but they're in your face. Yeah. And, it's, and it's wonderful just looking at faces and telling them a story. And so I am funny in that <laughs> I can – not funny. I'm no comedian. I don't want to be. But I know what I you watched, mean. But this boy that we've lost – was always amusing, was always smiling. And I'm not. I am terribly insular. Um, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm switched off a lot of the time. I'm so I'm, I'm, I'm high on concentration. <laughs> uh-huh. And that's yeah, bred, yeah. bred out from where? Do you think, where do you think that comes from? I, I, well, it, it's who we are. It's obviously, yeah. as I said, we're informed by our childhood experiences, uh, which I don't remember mm. any of. <laughs> right yeah. yeah yeah it's protective i'm protective uh because of that upbringing that uh, do you know what though? that is such home. an it's such an honest thing you you've you've just said there like that is to literally have that inner thought but to say it out loud to almost like to confess is it's actually quite that's quite intense because um and brave i'd actually say because we all have internal we all have those things that we can't admit to um but we admit to ourselves and then we try and dilute them in a way i don't know so it doesn't it doesn't seem like it's that it that it's that it's that bad or what have you but it's funny because we do don't we like i i would say like i go and i go and watch someone or be around someone that i adore and love and i go fuck i really really want to have that i just know i can't like I don't know whether that's in, like the ability to make someone laugh, the ability to make people laugh. I I if, with my wife when she laughs really really heartily, I go God. When was the last time I made her laugh like that? I don't make her laugh enough. I don't make my wife laugh enough. I don't tell that to anyone. That's the first time I've ever told that to anyone, and and it's weird, right? Well, I keep saying we are what we are. Uh, yeah. I've got two children your age and roughly, and uh, they are extremely well balanced, mm. well centered people that I'm very proud of. But they know growing up, they knew from 82 and 85 when they were born. They've always known. My son said when he was about 13 or 12 or 13, he was at Colchester. Colchester Royal Grammar School. He came home with these lovely boys, lovely mates. And one of them said, in front of me, but ignoring me, he said to Care, my son Care, he said, uh, your dad's away a lot, isn't he? (laughs) (laughs) And I, because I'd been away for four weeks in Germany and Austria and Luxembourg touring. And I said, I looked at him and said, yeah, but you know, Jamie, um, when I'm here, I'm here a lot. And Care and Greta, my children, grew up just knowing that dad was different, that that one's occupation meant not just traveling for business and coming home again in a suit, but touring 
on the road. It's, it's a different world out there. I'm missing it. I am unable to tell you. And it, it, can I not express myself? Well, usually I can, William. I cannot tell you, and I truly cannot tell you, how distressing this lockdown is for someone like is hundreds of thousands of us, the wandering minstrels. Yeah. I am used for 47 years. I've had a ticket. I've had a yeah. ticket in my desk. I've had an itinerary. I've had responsibilities regarding traveling with 10 or 11 other guys, musicians and crew. And it's a, a heck of a wonderful uh, lifestyle. We travel... <laughs> yeah 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 that's what it is we'll just pretend anyway, that's what it is so we've we got that about yeah i mean september to uh to pub in the park drive-ins oh brilliant okay yeah yeah so it's three three big concerts in the end of august through september it's just a miracle it comes out of no well miracles only happen in the bible but it's out of nowhere suddenly people i tell you what i've discovered in this awful four months I knew at the beginning, I was, uh, there's no question, I'm, I, this is the kind of guy I am, you can't help who you are. I, I'm pretty, uh, yeah, I, I'm decisive and positive. And uh, as soon as it started, I was saying, this is going to sort the boys from the men. Yeah. You know, and then I've met people, I, uh, the highlight of the bloody week for 12 weeks was driving seven miles from our country house to the supermarket in Sudbury in Suffolk for my wife to do an hour's shopping. And I'd park, it was a beautiful weather, as you know, and I'd park yeah. in the car park with a Land Rover with the doors open and I'd get in the back of the Land Rover with the Daily Telegraph and do the crossword and make some bets, you know, I'm a racing man. And I'd kill an hour very happily like that. And twice I was approached by people we know, two men. <clears throat> and I'm sorry to say they were quite happy with their furlough. And I was yeah. appalled. I was like, come on, man. That's my fucking tax money. What are you doing? Yeah. Are you serious? You're talking to me? Uh, don't tell me you're happy. Don't tell me you want it to go on. This is this awful. And I, yeah. I, you lose respect. I, I don't want to hear that shit. Yeah. I, want, I want winners. Yeah. And I knew that it would sort the, the, the there are enterprising people. There's the pub down the road that from day one was serving takeaway food because he knew it could be takeaway was kosher, good. And there was the pub around the corner that's closed down, groan, moan, whinge. Now, I, I want to see the winner, the man who is enterprising. Yeah. Winners, get up, yeah. get off your backside and get on with it. Get up and get on. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. When I was uh, five back to the old man, the, the, <laughs> well, the authorities said, Stephen will need to go to a special needs school. My dad said, there's no way that's happening. 
he will go to Edmund Wallace School, the primary school in New Cross, where my sister was and where my brothers all went after me. Oh, well, you know, he's on crutches. And I was until I was 15. I was walking on crutches. Um, he might get chipped up in the playground and have an accident. My dad said, he'll be treated just like the next man. If he falls over and cuts his knee, he'll get up and carry on. And my dad taught me all the time, get up and get on. And I like that. I'm like it. And my kids are like it. Enterprising people are like it. You know, and this lockdown, this terrible period, it really has exposed. Why, 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 why you tell me why anyone, tell me why anyone is tear assing off to virus infected Spain? For what? They come back and they can't work for two weeks? Who's going to pay them? They can't work, and they're teachers, nurses, I don't know, anything. Madness. I'm so sorry. I, I'm not actually very opinionated, but. Yeah. What's wrong well, everyone's, with. Everyone's come out with, like, uh, everyone's been stressed and stress tested and put to the absolute um, nth degree with, with lockdown. Everyone's just like, holy shit. Like, I didn't know I felt like this, but now it really is coming to the fore. Like, the, everyone's opinion has, has been magnified and put to yeah. the. Put There's to, some put of that. The... I've just been bored. <laughs> yeah, I bet you have, man. Like until seriously. I could until I could see my grandchildren, my two nippers, they're four and uh, one and a half, and my yeah. children, which we do now. Until um, then, about a month ago, it, it was like, what's this all about? Is some is it a is it? You know, I'm no conspiracy theorist. For God, a long, <laughs> long way from that. Yeah. But, you, yeah, but you do wonder: is this that serious? I've lived through a polio epidemic and survived yeah. it. Yeah. Diphtheria, yeah. TB, all that shit went on when I was a kid. Time, time will and they tell. Just, they went to school. I'm so sorry. This one is a puzzle. It's a yeah, no, no. Puzzle. I think I think time will tell. I think it's like definitely when maybe we're not out of the words the the worst of it yet. Who knows? But I I mean it it is it's hard to know what to say and what to think. Some day some day some days I'm like. Uh, in ten years' time, will we still think of it like the worst? Yeah, no. We're gonna, I think in about six months' time, we're going to be saying, "Hey, what was that all about?" I hope so. As soon I hope as so, as soon as the theatres can open, you know, we've cancelled this year. I've lost 60, 60 concerts. Yeah, I, I, I can survive. It's all right. It's all right financially. I'm not a big thing for me. It's a huge loss. A huge loss. I can barely tell you for my company, but it won't affect me detrimentally at all. And yet, there's all the musicians and crew, hundreds of thousands of such people in the country, in the world, mm. millions who are earning nothing. Yeah, nothing. And it breaks my heart. And until we can get no social distancing, people together again. Check in as you check in to that venue, you know, get your temperature taken. Well, I don't know what the hell, I don't know. But February the 27th, yeah. February the 27th, 2020. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've sold like 1,700 tickets out of two and a half thousand, and they just stopped. They just yeah. the sales have just stopped. You know, it's at four a week at the moment. Uh, but that will be, I'll be playing to a couple of thousand people for my big birthday uh, with a, with a string section and a, singers and a big band. Yeah, it does sound, it sounds band. like it's going to be amazing because you've but got I, like, the new Uncovered, right? That, that new album of yours you're literally about yeah. to tour. 
Yeah, that will be incorporated into that show. Lots of it. So I'm very proud of that album. Very proud. And that Chris, you've got Chris, Far- uh, the Chris Farlow song on there as well, right? Out of um, time. Oh my god! When I heard you, co- I loved that cover. I absolutely. Per- besides, I love that song. I mean, it's one of my all-time great favorite songs. But you. your your version of it is fantastic. Well, thank you. That's nice of you yeah. to say. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's been a bit of an uh, an interesting uh, time. Um, we sent all of the uh, my interpretations of their songs to the writers. I haven't heard yet back from Sir Paul. I did. Uh, I've just seen, <laughs> I've just seen her face. But he's yeah. a lovely, lovely man. He's always always been really kind to me and very generous with his time when I've met him. And uh, I haven't heard back from Sir Mick about our out of time yet. But yeah. I don't know if they've heard it yet. These are busy, busy people. Um, busy, yeah, indeed. But some some of them have written back, and it's the loveliest thing when the writer communicates with a writer like myself and and says from the heart kind words and believe me i'd know i'd know if it wasn't heartfelt i'd see between those lines (laughs) yeah yeah there's been some really interesting reactions yeah yeah it's cool man i i don't uh i i think i've got a reasonably eclectic taste in music and i don't really and i i do love I love it when people do their their own versions, their own takes on a song that I love. But one of my favourites is um, Johnny Cash doing "I Won't Back Down." Tom Petty. Yeah, yeah. Oh, don't. That, Heartbreaking. Oh, well, yeah. when you're hearing a man that age who was at death's door when he recorded that album, and uh, it is heartbreaking. Mm. The sincerity, oh. and well, you know, you can only get there in time. You can't fake uh, that kind of uh, sincerity. You can't. You can't uh, fake Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and you know the video to hurt uh, the, the 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 Trent Reznor cover. I was quite young when I I, I don't know maybe early twenties whatever when I first saw that. Oh my god, that was like a dream. That, Could that you tell to me, me that I'm not with you. What, what's that? The um, hurt. So. Um, the Johnny Cash cover of Hurt. Oh, yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. I hurt myself today. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> the, vi- the video that accompanies that is unreal. It's it's profound. I, I use the word profound too much. Black and white. I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of like in and out. I think it's black and white and a bit of colour, but maybe it is. Yeah, maybe it's black and white. And, you know, it's... <laughs> The way it's done, the way the, the end where it gets quicker and quicker and quicker with the images of his life. Yeah. Oh, my God. By the end of it, when the first time I saw it, I was in floods of tears, man. Like, like you know, Bob, like not like blubbing, but like just streaming down my face. It's like that's how powerful music and music oh. videos can be. Oh, absolutely. Music. Um, I, I, I uh, recently I've been keeping the troops occupied throughout <laughs> lockdown by putting up on Facebook um lots of things, competitions, photographs, where was I when I took this picture, uh, a pair of tickets to an acoustic band show or a signed DVD, uh, whatever. And it's been fun. And they've really enjoyed yeah. Thousands of them really enjoyed it. And uh, we had a um, – there was someone got Desert Island Discs going. And, uh, I don't know who was – organizing it um it was an official thing all around the country and it's one of my fans put this up on facebook 
and they all started to encourage, let's hear Steve's Desert Island discs. We want to know what Steve would take. Yeah. And I wrote mine up. I did it. And I wrote a perfectly fine explanation to each one as if I was talking to Sue Lawley. <laughs> and uh, it was very cathartic. Three or four of them, if I hear them now, the pieces, I would weep. I can't help it. I, there are tracks and pieces of music that I can't play driving. I, so I'm what on. are those? What are those pieces? I have to know. <laughs> well, <laughs> all right. Well, Gorechki, um, his um, symphony, Gorechki, the symphony about the Polish prisoners of war in the Second World War. It's it's is. Oh, I can't yeah. name it right this second. The full title of it, but Gorechki. Um. Dylan's visions of Johanna, uh, Frank Zappa's um, Stinkfoot. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh dear. Oh, no, really. Zappa yeah. was um, Zappa was as close in my business <clears throat> as you get to genius. I don't use words like that very often because. I've been at the school gates when mine were young and I've heard mothers of five and eight and nine year olds saying, Oh yeah. A teacher says he's a real genius. He's on, he's on, he's on, <laughs> he's on stage. <laughs> he's at stage eight next week. What? And I'd look at him and think Mozart was a genius. Your kid's just typewriting, but you couldn't tell him, you know, delusional, delusional. Mozart was a genius. Beethoven uh, was a genius. Perhaps the greatest of all, Beethoven. Uh, and Zappa, Frank Zappa, was in that in those realms for sure. Is Bob Dylan Amazing. controversial? I like that because I know Dylan. how much you love that guy. So. I, I, I absolutely, but he's capable of playing games uh, with words where he doesn't actually say anything. Yeah, yeah. And and I see right through that. Wasteful. I, I consider it wasteful. Myself, that's the word I was going to use. Yeah. But you see, the critics, like with David Bowie, uh, Van Morrison, Dylan, the critics won't allow these guys to make a mistake. No matter what they do, it's brilliant. It's five-star. And you say, oh, no, hang on, I I I've just heard that. It's three-star. It's okay, but come on. Yeah. yeah Standards. No. Uh, and it worries me that, 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 that people are, that, that critics, many of them, not always much, much younger than me, some of them, more your, even your age, they... they it's Bob Dylan, it's genius. It was David Bowie, therefore it's wonderful. But it wasn't. I didn't need Black Star in my life for five minutes. Oh, mate, don't, I, don't get me started on how shit that... I hate Black Star. I oh played my God, it once it, and just said, this is misery. I don't know what's oh my in his God. mind. But it was because he was... I, I couldn't stand it. And he was fine. Fucking love the guy for some of his, his work is undoubtedly brilliant of course unquestionably it is. brilliant but yeah. black star can fuck right off i was there, like this is making me very anxious and there was it's a not serious doing anything for me. serious lack of um 
honesty amongst yeah. the critics. They were not sincere. And uh, you, I just, you just don't it. hear it. Just There's hear the no. There, but <laughs> sorry to get, get all uppity about it, Steve. It's just I always I've always saying this to my wife when Bowie died when the album came out. Oh my god, everyone was like crying about the album, like let alone his death. And I was like, can we just press pause a second here? Mm. This is this is not good. Like this music is not good. People will not be playing this in twenty years. No, no, that's the test. Not in two or three years. That's the test. Yeah. Uh, I I hear record of the week on Radio Two, and you know I'm cynical enough to say I'll hear it in front of my wife, and I'll just go what. Yeah, you won't be hearing that in a year's time. Never mind forty-five. Yeah, like yeah. some of my own or some big, big, great hits, classics. I don't know. It's I, it doesn't mean everything has to become a classic. No, single. no. It's just got. It's got a mean. I don't know. Of course, it's got to mean something. But without just... without Bowie and Space Oddity, I might not have had a career. I mean, he's he's responsible for opening the door for me. Yeah, can you expand on that a bit? Well, down at Beckenham Arts Lab at the Three Tons in Beckenham High Street. David ran the arts lab on Sunday nights with his then wife, Angie. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, I used to go a lot and play for no money, you know, play floor spotting. And then one week they reissued what had failed at first. They re-released Space Oddity, Decca, I think it was. And David, it was a small hit, and David had to go out and play some dates Sunday nights at Mecca Ballrooms. And Mary Finnegan, who was really in control of the arts lab, which was just a folk club at the back of a big Victorian pub, uh, she said, would you, David won't be here next Sunday, would you front the, the evening, <laughs> you know, MC, <laughs> and sing a set, a half-hour set? And I brought in a fiddle player that I'd met and a guy on bongos. And we did a half-hour <laughs> set. Uh, and I, I became a regular at the, at the Three Tons, even when David came back. Uh, it was the first money I ever earned, apart from busking, uh, playing. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, they paid me 15 quid. Can you, can you remember what David Bowie is like then? Yeah, 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 yeah. He was tall and skinny with long... Yeah, he looked like a woman. He had long, blonde, wavy mm. hair over his eye, like uh, Hunky Dory. Right, yeah. Yeah, he looked like... And, he, he, you know, he, he went out to Mecca Ballrooms uh, with a 12-string acoustic guitar and uh, in bell bottoms, trousers about 30 inches wide at the bottom, <laughs> and stack heels and uh, his hair... And the skinheads threw things at him. I bet they fucking did. Jesus Christ. Make a ballroom, man. They wanted Scar, Blue Beat, yeah. Ricky. And David yeah. came out and sang Space Oddity. <laughs> <laughs> so he had a hard uh, early early period. It was tough for him, I think. And uh, But he was so, so clever. So mm. amazingly intelligent and... Uh, imaginative yeah he went and, right through it all you know and so you you were like was that, sorry 70, uh, 72 One, was that 70, 71 yeah so like well you you were cutting your teeth and i'm guessing like you're learning learning the 
learning the the ropes i don't know i mean like yeah i was learning how to um manipulate an audience <laughs> okay yeah that's a better way of putting it yeah yeah i was learning my trade uh, fine honing the songs uh, the, as i said earlier they all became the human menagerie i was singing uh, these weird songs that on the streets when i was busking on the dole i'd never get any money uh, i'd walk up to a busking pitch at marble arch hyde park piccadilly and the guy that's playing has got his guitar case open with lots and lots of coins in there so i'm thinking well this is a good place to be but i <laughs> he he'd move on and i'd get the pitch nothing because the american tourists that were our bread and butter back then would give me a wide berth i had hair down to my shoulders bare feet a, a, <laughs> an ankle length an ankle length velvet coat a real sort of weekend hippie right yeah and i was singing sebastian a muriel the actor judy teen i was singing slightly uh off piste and right, it didn't yeah they, they wanted to hear yellow little boxes little boxes and they're alter they wanted to hear american folk music okay, and I, yeah. I i didn't know any and i I wasn't doing it, so I'd uh, end up penniless hours of work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, but it's like you said earlier, you touched on, like, people um, showing a bit of tenacity to keep going. Like, I think that's the, the wonderful thing about being young is you just don't know how high that mountain is to climb. Persistence. Um, persistence, right. When, 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 do- I, when, when I left school... <clears throat> I, 17 before i didn't finish a levels i left at 17 of the uh, easter end of easter term uh, at um, in the upper sixth and <clears throat> i applied for nine months i wrote letters all around britain i'd have gone anywhere from new cross yeah i went on timpson's coaches from new cross to liverpool to whitstable to somewhere i went on five or six to do an interview to become a junior reporter that is signed up indentured like an apprenticeship and i wrote 19 letters went to five interviews and didn't get a job eventually i got a job in colchester essex county newspapers took me on it was owned and the proprietor was harvey benham an edwardian gentleman right with about size 21 feet, huge robes <laughs> were big, six foot four, six foot five, born in ooh, 1900, I presume. He was right. Edwardian. And uh, one day after about a month of being, working for his newspapers in Colchester, we were in the local pub, all the reporters, and he was there. He said, how are you getting on nice? That's my real name. How are you doing? How are you getting on nice? Everything okay? Everything's fine, Mr. Benham. Thank you. And eventually, during over a pint of IPA, I said to him, Mr. Benham, may I ask you a question? I, I was looking for this job for almost a year. Uh, I, I was rejected countless times. You took me on. I just wondered why. And he said, well, nice. One of the major 
attributes of a good journalist is persistence. And you have it in spades. (laughs) (laughs) So in other words, because I'd failed so many times, but kept bouncing back, eventually someone saw me bounce back. (laughs) Yeah, I can relate to that. Definitely. So these these people, well, they touch your life. These people, they touch your shoulder and it never, it changes your life forever. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Have you had that happen? I've, I, you know, what I persisted. I've, I've gone, I've been in many different bands and really, really tried so hard. And I've knocked on a few doors. I had some amazing conversations with people just through persistence, and they've given me some amazing advice. Do you know um, Tom Robinson, right? Yeah, from yeah. Um, you must, you, you must know him quite well, I should imagine. I, don't, I, don't I knew him well at EMI in the seventies, Tom. Yeah, and yeah. he, he was, he was very lovely to me. He, he like bought me a. He, he took me to a Carluccio's restaurant, then bought me a a, a, a notepad, and and gave me all this advice, and and he was he was just so lovely, just such oh, a lovely bloke. Top man, Tom. Top what man. What a story! What a story he's had as well. Yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah. He's the only one who went back into the closet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bizarre. Yeah. What a, what a life. He's a fascinating man, and I like him an awful lot. Yeah. What's you know so, you know what. People, on, yeah, William. Um, I, 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 I presented, wrote, I wrote all of it myself. The sounds of the seventies for ten years for Radio Two, and I, I was heard about twice a year. It was weekly, and twice a year I would say something like, "It might have been Pete, Pete Townsend." I'd play the Who, and uh, I'd say, "You know, people find Townsend difficult, but you know." He's always very sweet to me and he's kind and modest. And I would say about all the superstars that I've met, all of them, I hope I'm in that happy band. If you have longevity, if you have survived through the best and the worst of times and you still are there, you know, I play 80 shows a year. They're all sold Mm. out. You know, it's what I do. If you've survived for a long period, you will be a decent egg. There's no (laughs) question at all. There are almost no exceptions to that rule. I can tell you two of them, but that's all. I know two out of thousands. If you have that longevity, it's because you've got A, talent, and B, you're a pretty decent guy. Yeah. If, if you're not, people find you out. The public won't like you. They won't buy your tickets. You ain't got a gig. Yeah. People know. And you have to be kind. You have to be modest. You have to have... It's just... You have to have social... It, you can't uh, all be social animals. I'm not saying that. But if you are arrogant, unkind... Promoters know if at a concert backstage at a theater, any venue, if your crew are bad people, if your crew are nasty, the promoter knows, the venue manager knows. And who do they say? They don't say Arthur Schlockenpfeffer was a a little bastard. They say (laughs) Steve Harley's roadie was a little bastard. Who's? Sorry, am I? Suddenly it's me. Yeah. He represents me. He's gone. 
we have no one like that. Everyone around me is good people. Everyone. I can spot yeah. a baggage a mile away and they just go, we don't keep them on. So yeah, that's, no. it's essential that that is a point I'm making is that it's not a phony act. You can't put it on. You can't pretend you have to be born to do this thing, this traveling, mm. gig to gig, hotel to hotel, airport to airport, and not losing your temper, not showing boredom, not being bad company. Mm. It takes a certain breed. And uh, as I say, if you've done, if, if you've, have longevity in your life and survived, you're going to be an approachable, decent person. No question. Yeah. No, that's, that's a, that's an interesting point. I'd, 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 I'll probably take that with me and reflect on that for a while. Um, you didn't ask I, me the two that are not like that. Well, I thought you wouldn't give them to me, mate, to be and honest with you. I thought, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, oh, it's like, I don't know. Fucking I can tell whoever. you, look, look, yeah. it's, it, it's, Place and time. Uh, Van Morrison, probably. <laughs> couldn't possibly everyone, know, yeah, exactly. Everyone Everyone's knows Van Morrison's a, got a yeah. band story, right? Exactly. My God, I well, went to see him once, and it was hysterical how much of a moody prick he was. It was hilarious. I was like, "This is funny." I mean, I'm paying to see someone <laughs> ruin my night on purpose. This is kind of fun, you know. <laughs> Yeah, why, why did he get out of bed? You know? <laughs> right. I mean, like, who's paying to watch this guy? It was so funny. And it's just the absolute opposite to when I saw you in Guildfest when I was, um, like, I don't know, 19 years old or whatever. And I have never to this day seen someone smile for an hour and a half consistently. It was like you were on a different wavelength, man. It was, in, it was, it was beautiful. It was oh, totally... Say, yeah, music... Music takes me out onto that that wing uh, to fly every performance it doesn't matter festivals to i played to fifty thousand people many times ten thousand people more times i've played to 120 people it doesn't yeah. matter the size <clears throat> if you're born to do it and love doing it and people give back a certain kind of warmth that you feel up there and it is a mutual smile it's a mutual smile. You feel the energy coming back and you give more and more and more. I come off after I play two and a half hours most nights and I'm never, never tired. Never. Wow. Never. No, 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 never. I, I could go on and on. It's, it's because the energy that you, you're spend, spending is, is uh, Christ, it's, 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 it's coming from your imagination and your... It's the gig you do. It's it's yeah. not hard. It's not hard work. It's it's energetic. Yeah. But you're in such a. I I I've said to an audience before now, <clears throat> maybe two thousand when we play the big um, the bigger concert halls, and I, I might look up and say, Yeah, you know, I know how lucky I am. There's two thousand of you in here. 60% of you want to be where I am. And you feel it. Waves come back. Yes, I do. And I'll say, I know you're older, but you know when you were young, you wanted to be a pop star, didn't you? Mm. You played air guitar in the shed. <laughs> you were in a band once, weren't you? 
And as I know, there are hundreds in that room that can't talk to me privately, but they're going, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And no, yeah. And no one, I don't know, I'm one of those few that talks like that as if they're in my living room. Right. I was going to say, like, it's like, and like you're, you're doing your own radio show, like, and you've got to do the Terry Wogan kind of like just talking to people as if that you're just, you're talking to thousands, but you're trying to drill it down to one. That's, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You've got to bring them into your living room. There's no question. Yeah. It, it, there's an art to it. There are tricks. I've uh, seen some great com- comedians do that. Yeah, um, I'll bet. Yeah, it's a hmm. it's a it's a trick. Oh, there are tricks. I'm sorry, there are. <laughs> yeah, you've you've got to you've do. Got, you've got to be able to do that. You've got like, to be able to do it. Thing. You've got to mean it. They're yeah. not tricks that I could teach the guy next door. He's not going to get it. It's it's got to be in your body and in your system and in your soul. Yeah. It's got. It's be, you're going to do it because you want to do it. I Damn want. Straight. Yeah, I've got to play, uh, as a, we play, as I said, two and a quarter, two and a half hours that I'm on stage Jesus. for at every yeah. show. And <clears throat> I've got to come off believing that what they saw uh, of me was the last show I'll ever play. Therefore, mm. it had to be memorable, not for the wrong reasons. It had to be giving heart and soul Otherwise, why would I do it? Believe me, we are very, very well paid. I mean, it's it, when I started through the seventies, we we toured for no money. We lost money on tours. We earned the money mm. from album sales. Yeah. Now, now you 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 stream my bloody album for no money, and we don't get anything <laughs> yeah. back. It's yeah. ridiculous. But the money, the income, is made on the road, mm. concerts. And it's considerable, and I don't take it for granted. So I still give everything I can. But yeah. hey, it's no effort because I love yeah. it. Can I? That's that's a good. That is good. That's good to hear. I'm just going to say that you know it's good to hear. You you underline that point. You know, I, I was um I was working for Ringo Starr as a gardener, a groundsman, and he said um without or without like being nudged or whatever like what's why do you do it why do you still gig and i i asked him because i was just like fuck what am i i see him like maybe 10 15 times a year i want to ask him a question and he was like i'll do it for the fans i do it for the fans i keep going because of the fans but he meant it you know he wasn't like doing it because i didn't have a a microphone on me it was just two people talking and he was you know made that point he wanted to say ringo ringo yeah ringo star yeah i used to work at his uh, as a groundsman down in um, Surrey in Cranley. Surrey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, he's, um, he's, he's good people. Yeah. He is, man. He is. He's really, really cool. He's a really nice guy. Jesus. He's so you're a, you're, a 80, proper, you know? you're a proper gardener, are you? I, I'd <clears> say, <throat> yeah. Like, I guess so. No, half and half. Like, I know enough. I haven't been, I've been, I've done a bit of school uh, at Horticultural School College, but. I couldn't take education and I, I cannot, there's, I've learned over the years, there's only so much shit I can put in my brain before it falls out the other ear, you know? And, and I just, I gave up, but I still love gardening. I, I'm a gardener's world freak. I love watching gardening. Can I ask you world. something, I William? Yes. I, I, can I have a pee? You can have a pee. Yes. Are you free for like, hold on to two minutes? I can. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's fine. <laughs> I'll be back. Okay. Hiya. 
he's back. <laughs> you, yeah. you made the right choice. You made the right decision, though, because you know wetting yourself is just terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's better than going, William. Can I stop you? I've, I've, I need to change my trousers. You well, know. I, have, I haven't changed my own nappies for about seventy years, sixty-five years. Okay, great, great. Yeah, okay, um, this is no, good no, news. No. Need a pee. Um, so I, tell me, um, I've got to say that the gardening thing. Yeah. Which, which I can't do, but we have a lovely property here. I'm so lucky. Um, all through that lockdown in the beautiful weather in April and May, I've got two, yeah. like, two acres of woodland. Oui. And I was able to just look at that every morning with my flakes, my, my bran flakes out on the terrace and go for a yeah. walk. I could go for a walk for an hour and not leave the property. So I'm very lucky. And uh, once a week, from March till September, whatever, we have a gardener mm-hmm. once a week. He's older than you. He's probably in his mid-40s, but a real countryman, a Suffolk yeah. countryman. And he's one of the most interesting characters I could ever wish to meet. And I, I have to be careful not to take his time when he's meant to be digging holes and planting things and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> cutting things yeah. back. I just want yeah. to pick his brain. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bird lover. It's a major, oh, brilliant. Yeah. It's a major brilliant. interest of mine. Bird yeah. Life. yeah. Yeah. Big time. We had a builder come, uh, two or three days ago. Uh, I wasn't here, but my wife let the two builders into the back of the property to do something to a wall and we know them well. And one of them is a real Suffolk country man again. And he's in his sixties. And he said to my wife, you got buzzards here. And she said, I wouldn't have a clue. Oh, I think you've got buzzards nesting out there. So she told me that. And I said, you know, I respect him and I respect his view. And he knows what he's talking about. But he's wrong. There are no buzzards nesting you know, on our property, on our land. The yeah. sound he heard, I said, was uh, magpie. And I had to confirm it by going on a bird song website app. And hearing yeah. the magpies, and I said to my wife, look, this is what he heard, isn't it? And she said, yeah, sounds like a duck. Magpies. Yeah. yeah. And learning about this. Right this minute, in the garden, well, it's dark now, but today, today only today, I saw two uh, newborn robins, you know, when they've got no red breast. Yeah, yeah. And, and earlier, out on the terrace, I watched on a grassy bank, a wren who's no more than two inches long. Oh, wow. Beautiful. A newborn wren. We've got two squabs of just fledged yeah. in the last few days, and I've got them fledging on a spy camera, a stealth camera. They were nested. Okay. Yeah, mum had nested in a, in a shrub against our kitchen, the back wall of it. This is, is a Regency, early Victorian. Uh, no, it's Regency, 1813. The house was built. And she's been nesting there. We saw the two eggs for weeks. We saw the birds grow. And you never see a baby pigeon because they fledge when they're pretty well full grown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I just had the big thrill three or four days ago of seeing a baby pigeon on my lawn, meaning he hadn't yet got his beak colored, his eyes weren't colored. 
and he fledged yeah. on my, against my own building. It meant the world to me. I just absolutely love them all. Bless you. Yeah, I love Bless it. Bless you, yeah. It's, I'm looking forward to that because I think I'm moving to the country relatively soon and I'm, I'm from the country originally. So I, I, I really, like when lockdown happened and we were forced to just, I don't know, flee to the country for doing any kind of, I don't know, any kind of exercise. And it it did remind me a bit of um, when I was when I was at boarding school. I'd run away to the countryside, your, the South what, Downs. What's your name all about then? Porteous. Porteous, yeah. Portius. Um, Anglo Anglo French, so it's sort of like Scottish French. Scottish French, yeah. It's very Latin, actually. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's right, possibly one of the more poshest names you'll. Are you, you remember Steve? You know Steve Ferroni. He had a chat with me. Um, Tom Petty's drummer. Yeah. And he, <laughs> he's. I sent him a really nice message to get him on the show and he said, well, I wouldn't ordinarily come on the show, but your surname is so intriguing to me. I think we should have a, I think we should have a chat. So, so I, <laughs> I was like, it's the most middle-class sounding name I've ever heard. And I, and I thought, well, that's, yeah. French-Scottish, French darling. Scottish? Yes. My family owned a castle in the 15th century up in um, Dun, Dunfries and Galloway. Go on. Yeah, the Tweedsmuir, the the the, the um, yeah. So were they were they Porteous? Yeah, yeah. And the, there's a, the the river rather that separates the border, the, the English, um, the, the, Scottish the, the border. The oh, Tweed, Tweed, yeah, Tweedsmuir, and uh, the River Tweed, yeah. And and uh, my dad uh, used to take us up there to the ruins of the castle when we were kids. That's where I promote proposed proposed to my wife as well. Oh, and oh. Uh, yeah, it's got. It's deep fam like deep family history. It's Wonderful. pretty. Are they great? Yeah, it's pretty awesome. That's great. But, um, yeah, I I I can't believe we've done like an hour and fifteen minutes and we haven't even spoken. Really, haven't spoken much about your music, <laughs> which is we have, but we kind of haven't at the same time. More like your experiences, which is funny, because um, I was listening to Loves a Prima Donna today uh, for like about the fifth time in the last month. Um, um, Crack it up. Is... that would spin your mind yeah like that <laughs> is that's, a, com that's a complicated album <laughs> it's complex but it's so beautiful like there's a song on there that had me nearly in tears um, it's well, I, uh, quite uh, really. a, a slower one um, and it's just so much well, the song too, on much, that... too much tenderness too much tenderness there's also yeah. love, love compared with you yeah, and it's which is oh, I've re-recorded as with a new verse on the uncovered album. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. And I, I love it so so much. And it's it's of um, it's kind of of an era, but you know, I don't want to say stands up because it just sounds fucking patronising and ridiculous. My my my, just... my mum couldn't um, in '76 when that was released, and we were touring the world with it, <clears throat> and we played three nights at Hammersmith Odeon. And my mum and dad would always come with all my aunts and uncles. I'd give them loads of guest tickets, you know. And my mum couldn't watch me perform um, Innoc Innocence and Guilt from that album, which is where the, you've got that voice speaking from the womb. Dear, yeah, dearest, yeah. dearest mama. You know that speech? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my dearest God. mama. And uh, she said... She knew she was a she was a singer and she understood she she knew that I was doing this dearest mama you know so we slowed the tape down 
Yeah. But so it was a baby speaking from the womb mm. about the world, and uh, she really couldn't hack it. My mum. No, that's quite that's quite something. And you'd stopped doing acid quite a few years before yeah. as well. So yeah, yeah. But you know that stuff doesn't leave your body or your it, leave, right. it doesn't leave your mind. I bet. I Not bet at all. Funky dreams sometimes, right? Well, well on um, yeah, if you want to know, this would interest you, I think. Um, <clears throat> on um, the Psychomodo album, the second album, there's the song Tumbling Down. Mm-hmm. Check it out, Tumbling Down. There's a refrain saying, oh dear, look what they've done to the blues. And in there he says, um, the narrator, that's me, the narrator says, He's got nicotine stains in his eyes. And on one of those acid trips in 1971, that nine months that I was up, my friend and I sat next to a tramp, a real hobo from like Second World War kind of guy. So we're talking 1970, there were still lots of tramps around, as we call Mm. them in London. And we sat with him and he offered us part of his sandwich. He was eating a sandwich and it had come from a bin. It was green and moldy. And we shared it with him. I took a bite or three. And we looked at him. And as we came away, I said on on this LSD trip to my friend (laughs) on his LSD trip, did you notice anything funny about that guy? He said, yeah, his sandwich was rotten. <laughs> I said, no, I don't mean that. I don't mean that. He had nicotine stains in his eyes. His eyes were brown, you know? Not the, yeah. not the eyeball. No, no, I know. Yeah, yeah. was brown. Yeah. And uh, it just became part of the song. And so, you know. It, it got in there. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't all bad. <laughs> <laughs> it worked its way in. I was best. Um, I was best out of um, adversity. I, I like when the when the original Cockney Rebel, the three of them walked out on me. I wrote, "Make yeah. me smile." Yeah. The average punter down your street could live a very, very good life on the income of "Make me smile" after forty oh. odd years. And yeah, I wrote yeah, it I because I wrote it out of adversity. They walked out on me and left me in the lurch. And I wrote, you've done it all. You've broken every code. You pulled the rebel to the floor. Come up and see me. Make me smile. You know, all from that. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's lots of them in my career that have come out of feeling kicked. In right. the nuts, you know? Writing that song with such energy, though, like behind it. Do you think that, do you think that's, do you think that was part of it? Do you think like. No, I didn't write I mean, it with that energy. No. It was a slow blues. I wrote oh, it. Really? I, I, yeah, I went into Abbey Road on the morning we recorded it and said to the guys, like, we every morning we'd go in and sit sit them in a semicircle at the, around the piano in Studio 2, the Beatles studio. Yeah. And, and I'd say, here's today's song. And uh, it was like... You've done it all, You've broken every coach. It was like that. And my engineer and co-producer, Alan Parsons, Alan said, you know, Steve, do you want to try that a bit quicker? 
And Stuart Elliott, who is still my drummer to this day, bless him, great, great, great musician, one of the great drummers. Yeah. And Stuart uh, got behind the kit and played this mid-tempo backbeat. And that picked it up and changed everything. But the song okay. itself wasn't originally written that way. It was quite moody. Yeah. So that that God, all changed that... it up. God, that's fantastic. What was the chemistry like in the room when, oh, when, uh, when you changed it? Uh, magic. Yeah, yeah. There's no question. Um, I'm often asked about Make Me Smile, obviously, because it's... Well, obviously, yeah, yeah. They called it my pension. <laughs> well, it, you know, it is. And uh, I'm often asked, did we, did we know? Did we have a feeling about it? And the answer is yes, every time. It was November 74, and at 10 o'clock in the evening, the managing director then of EMI, Bob Mercer, delightful, very funny Yorkshireman, very intelligent, very witty, and he came in, and we were good friends, he and I. He came into Abbey Road at 10 p.m. and said, how's it going, guys? He'd been out to dinner. Bottles had been drunk. And we said, it's going fine, Bob. He said, anything you can play me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to hear what we're working on? Because we, we're keen on this. It was just Alan Parsons and me and the tape hop. No, right, yeah. no, no musicians. And we just finished putting the guitar solo together. You know, we just put it together. Well, it's a composite of three separate solos. It's a composite. We, we switched between three different solos to make the one. Okay. Yeah. And it was 12 hours work. And we just finished it. Today it's cut and paste in 10 minutes. Right. And we played him a rough mix of Make Me Smile. We put the uh, singers on. Ooh, la, la, la. We put them on, the choir. And uh, he just said, number one. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I, I bet I, he fucking did. Yeah, well, it's EMI. Back yeah. then, they could move mountains. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it was selling thirty, forty thousand a day for two Jesus. weeks. Jesus. And uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, once they say that, and I said to him, "I'm going to hold you to that." Number one, yeah. he said, "Oh, watch me do it, Harley." Okay, and he did it. God. That that must have been something like. It was. I mean, obviously, like, well, it's like you said. You know, you you kind of preface anything that a, a boss of a record label says with a big fat, "All right, yeah, cheers, mate." Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, he's yeah. pissed as well. Yeah. But then, like, <laughs> you know, a few weeks down the line, oh, okay, my life's changed forever. Well, he okay. took it. He he. Once they got the tape to 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 master um, at Abbey Road. Once his underlings, his A&R people, his marketing people had heard the album and especially that one song, that one track, yeah, they would have, they would, there's no doubt in my mind that those young men would have all, their ears would have pricked up and said, ah, you know, and, 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 well, interestingly, you'll you'll like this, William. Um, The man who signed Cockney Rebel, that's me. 
and the guys. Yeah. Also signed Pilot. Also signed Queen. All within a couple of months of each other. He signed the three of us within a couple of months of each other in 1974. Yeah? Oh, God. In 1975, he had number ones with Pilot singing January. He had a number one with Make Me Smile, which is to this day millions of sales, millions. He had Bohemian Rhapsody the following year. And he, this man was called Joop Visser, a Dutchman nice. who still yeah. is in the industry. Charlie, Charlie Records. Yeah, okay. Joop still has his record, to my knowledge. Delightful man. I loved him to death. Obviously, like all these great people who came in and touched me on the shoulder, he changed my life. Yeah, he gave me a he gave me a break, a chance, and in '75, after all those hits, he was stopped by the cops and and uh, charged with and guilty of drink driving. Yeah, EMI sacked him. Ooh. Yeah. Tell me. God Almighty. Tell me. <laughs> Corporate, yeah. corporate. I, I know. I'm not a corporate bod at all. I'm a renegade yeah. rock star. That's what I am. <laughs> but yeah. I know injustice when I see it. I oh, know that is that is terrible, isn't it? That he, really he, is. he discovered he discovered me and Cotney Rebel, Pilot and Queen, for God's sakes. Uh, but he had a one over the one over the limit. Come on. And their corporate, even in 75, they were like that. I, mean, like, I was just going to say, in the 70s, yeah. Jesus Christ, are you kidding yeah. me? Everyone was like driving backwards off their yep. shit, you know? Yep, you got they it. Pick, pick I was one guy. I would drive drunk the wrong way down one-way streets. Yeah. And laugh. It was that crazy. Yeah. Mad, but it wasn't as busy as it is today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's a good story, isn't it? But it's the truth. And no. If, and Yoke yeah. might even hear this and he'll be thinking, thanks, Steve, for backing me up. I've loved him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. man. This is so annoying. But I've got, we've probably got to call it at night. Got to go. Absolutely. We've, no, go on. Hour, hour and a half. This has been great. I don't know what you'll do with it or who will hear it. I you'll th- have to let us know. Let my office know. I will. I, I'd like to get it up online and let the let the troops know all around. There's 50,000 of them around the world that will want to listen to it. So <laughs> do let me know. Yeah. I will. I will. It'll be very, I'll be very grateful for that. That'd be great. But um, where, So just quickly, where are you in Suffolk? Where? Do you know it? Do yeah. Well, and uh, my in-laws are near Framlingham, and we might be moving to Dis. So I know Dis. I know Framlingham. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, John Peel lived there. Did he really? He lived in Framlingham. Yeah. Fucking hell! There it's got you the go. public. It's got the public school there, which you won't like very much. <laughs> it's got a good public school, Framlingham. Yeah, yeah. And jo- John yeah. Peel lived in that village. He died there. He was there oh, when God, he. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I go through it about four or five times a year. Um, We live south of there. We're on the Essex-Suffolk border. Oh, okay, yeah. On the the River Stour. Okay, yeah. Constable country. Constable country, yeah. Yeah, the River Stour. We're we're, we're near Clare. 
Okay. Well, if I if I'm ever passing through there, I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll chuck on make me smile a bit louder. We're near Clare, C L A R E. Yeah, check yeah, it yeah. out, and uh, you know you've got an email address now for my company. Write to us and say you're passing through, and I'll get you in for a cup of tea. <laughs> nice one, Steve. That sounds fantastic, mate. I'd like I'd like that. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Me too. Yeah. I definitely, I feel like there's so much more to talk about, so yeah, that'd, be, yeah, that'd be it. great. Just on a social level, do it, and we'll uh, yeah. introduce you to a bit of Suffolk down here, show Cheers, you my, my woodland. <laughs> <laughs> That's so sweet. Thank you so much for the invite. That's, That's been a real play. I've enjoyed this immensely. Uh, great. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah, I, f- I felt it, which is a, a cool thing, because I don't yeah. always, and that, that's really cool. Yeah, I don't always, trust me. It's the year, whoa.